Hello, everybody. It is me, Andy, from This Week International, here to make a brief correction from the episode that I realized during editing. <clears throat> I but briefly referred to the dominant party in Portuguese parliament as the Social Democratic Party, when in reality they are the opposition. The Socialist Party is the dominant party in Portuguese parliament. I did refer to the Socialist Party correctly later on, but... I just want to make sure I made this brief correction. Uh, I apologize, but I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, and welcome back to epi another episode of This Week International. This would be uh, episode 11. Uh, I am Andy, here with my co-host Thomas. So, Thomas, you have the first story today, I believe. Yeah, and my story is about Tonga. If you're on the west coast of the U.S., you may have seen that a tsunami warning has been issued. Why is that, you may be asking? Well, there was a volcanic eruption in Tonga. Now, volcanic eruptions can sometimes lead to tsunamis. So, will there be a tsunami as of Saturday, the 7th, the 15th of January? There has not been a tsunami yet, but uh, we will see. So this is from AP News, and I'm just going to be paraphrasing here. An undersea volcano erupted uh, on Saturday near the Pacific nation of Tonga, and that sent tsunami waves crashing across the shore and people rushing to higher ground. The Tongan internet was cut, and family members around the world are trying to get in touch with people in Tonga to figure out if there were any injuries and how bad the damage is. The government websites have not been updated, probably due to the internet being cut there. It was a huge eruption with plumes of ash, steam, and gas rising like a mushroom over the blue Pacific waters, and a sonic boom could be heard as far away as Alaska. Now, I'm in Washington State, we both are. I didn't hear anything, but maybe you could hear it here too. I honestly don't know. Um, uh, maybe next to a body of water, but that is the but that's a river, not Tonda. Um, <laughs> no, I did not hear anything. I mean, considering Tonda is this tiny island nation, I don't think many people would hear it. I think probably, unless you lived in like the Aleutian Islands, you probably couldn't hear it in Alaska. Yeah, I don't know where in Alaska people could hear it, but yeah, um, tsunami advisories were issued for the U.S. Pacific coast, Hawaii, and Alaska. And the eruption caused the equivalent of a magnitude 5.8 earthquake, which is a moderately bad earthquake, although it's not as bad as some of the really bad ones like the ones in Haiti and Japan and stuff. And Tonga gets its internet from an undersea cable from Fiji, which was damaged. And I mean, I think one of the real concerns is here. I mean, Tonga's had kind of this weird political spot. Or they're kind of like Thailand in that their main the main political divide in Tonga is monarchists and Republicans, based aka people who want Republican, not meaning in the right wing sense, meaning in the sense of people who want a democracy in Tonga. And that's the main divide. Of course, those two factions are always at war. So I don't exactly know what the response from Tonga has been. I looked it up. There's really not much here. It says according to the BBC which is debated whether they have some sort of bias or not. The U.S. and Japan warned or warned Tonda about this tsunami. 
but it doesn't really i didn't really get to where it had tonga's reaction countries and regions go uh hawaii there have been waves that have measured half a meter in some of the islands there like Kauai. and i don't know if that's how you pronounce it i don't know a lot about hawaiian islands maybe you're on the west coast when this came out but evacuate to the east coast when you listen to it who knows um yeah probably gonna be fine because it's quite far away yeah it's closer it's probably closer it i mean if you looked at a map it's closer to fiji than it is us so on the west yeah um it's probably because the water i'm gonna guess the water is probably moving a lot of the uh, waves east from Tonga, which is us rather than west um do you want to move on to your story now yeah, so Portugal is having a snap election. So there's going to be some set of weird party names. And before I get to the background of the Portuguese election, there's, you have to know that the party names are going to be a bit weird, but they're not representative of their ideology. So Portugal is basically, Portugal's political system officially has all left-wing parties because democracy in Portugal arose in the face of a right-wing dictatorship. So the dominant parties in this election are the Socialist Party, or PS, who are the ruling party of Portugal, Portugal currently, and have the most seats in their parliament. The Social Democrats, who are actually a center-right party, while the Socialists are a social democratic party. The left bloc, who are like hardcore democratic socialists. The Communist Party, it should be self-explanatory. The People's Party, who are Christian Democrats and uh, people animals nature not i don't mean that in the sense that it's a party of animals i mean that in the sense that they care about animal politics you might recognize that term if you follow any dutch politics the um ecologist party who's like the main breed party shaga who is a far-right party and liberal initiative who are like libertarian so so the reason portugal's having a parliamentary election is because they couldn't pass a budget. The so the ruling party in parliament, the Social Democrats, have basically relied on the votes of the left bloc and the Communist Party to pass their legislation through Portuguese parliament. But after this budget was un- proposed, the Communist Party said, basically, we don't want Portugal to have a budget. We wanted to solve the social issues in society, which I've never heard of anybody doing, but then compared to some people, my knowledge of politics is nerfed a pit. So yeah, Portugal is sent into a snap election. And if you look at Portugal's elections, uh, you may notice that they are a bit one-sided, or at least their presidential elections are. And the reason for that is because their president uh, was a radio announcer for a long time. And so basically anybody who's considered older in Portugal is bound to vote for him. And opinion polling for this, so far at least, has shown that Socialists are pretty much, well, have a pretty solid lead in this election, so we might come back with a bit of a re-scrambled Portuguese parliament. And the reason I bring this up is because this is, happen- Janu- this is happening January 30th, so it's pretty soon. Uh, what do you think, Thomas? I don't know a lot about Portuguese politics, but I think it's interesting how uh, there's such a misnomer. Uh, the, uh, the parties are so misnamed when it comes to their ideologies. I mean, I think I remember reading that the Socialist Party used to actually be like more full-on socialists than the 
Social Democratic Party used to be more full on Social Democrats, but that's not true anymore, I guess. I think it's probably going to be a center-left win. That's something that's been seen in a lot of other countries. Uh, Obviously, the Social Democrats won there. They defeated the Christian Democrats, and they have a Social Democratic Chancellor named Olaf Scholz there. Uh, In the UK, uh, Labour is pulling ahead of the Conservatives right now. Um, there is not an election until 2024 at the latest, but that's subject uh, to change. Though good sign for Labor right now, especially since their leader Keir Starmer has been criticized for being uncharismatic and very bland. But uh, if he can beat Boris Johnson in the polls now, um, we'll see. It could that could be a good sign for him in the future. There are some other parties where. Um, the center-left has been gaining ground. Italy, the Democratic Party um, of Italy, uh, has been doing a lot better recently. We can see Hungary. Um, it's unclear. Uh, there's an election coming up in Hungary. All of the candidates of the center-left, center-right, and far-left, they have all unified behind a shared candidate, hoping to take, hoping to take down a far-right leader, uh, Viktor Orban, so we'll see what happens there. It's really weird because they have Yobik in their alliance. In their uh, Hungary has a uh, Yobik in the uh, opposition alliance, and Yobik like they've moderated, but they used to be a, a far right party. So technically, you have the most left wing party teamed up with the most right wing party. Yeah, Yobik the parties in between to take down Orban. It's really weird. They uh, switch places. Uh, Yobik and Fidesz. Fidesz used to be the centrist right, and uh, Jobbik used to be the far right, and now Jobbik is the centrist right, and uh, Fidesz is the far right. Yeah, it's it's Hungarian politics, Zane. Okay. But anyway, as I wanted to get back to briefly, I think the actual the Hungarian nominee uh, in for the United Opposition, as some people are calling it, I think he's like center right, but still, this would be a general win for the center left. I feel like because they would rather be negotiating with the center right leader. Than a uh, center, than a sorry, than a far right one, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, there's some countries. Uh, Norway had another victory uh, for the center left. Uh, Erna Solberg was uh, defeated, and I think Jonas Garstor is the leader there. Yep, and he's center left. So we'll see if there's a center left win in Portugal. Um, if there is, that's not surprising. If the center-right wins, I mean, I don't think that's surprising either, but I think something to keep an eye on is we want to keep an eye on the Communist Party in Portugal, and you want to keep an eye on the uh, Chegas. Uh, Far-right uh, politics are still fairly important in uh, Western Europe right now, so even though Chegas won't win, it's good to keep an eye on them. And then uh, Communist Party, uh the Communist Party of Portugal is stronger than a lot of other Communist parties. Maybe only the maybe the only country in Western Europe that has a stronger Communist Party may be France. But the French Communist Party is pretty fractured right now. So honestly, Portugal may be the country with the strongest Communist Party. But we'll see. Um, anything else to add? No, I don't have anything. Do you want to do your next story now? Unless yeah, I'll do my next story. So my next story is about Afghanistan, and this is from Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and this is interesting. So the Taliban uh, has issued threats to Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. 
and have created more tension between them and their neighbors in Central Asia. So the first two weeks of this year have brought a reminder that Central Asia's relationship with the Taliban uh, are far from smooth and could potentially turn bad very quickly. Well, I would say it probably already has turned bad. The Tajik government does not communicate directly with the Taliban and made it clear in August that the militants that captured Kabul, um, that they will not cooperate until the government is inclusive, which means that a large Tajik population would have to be represented in government. Um, until this happens, uh, Tajikistan will not consider rec recognizing the Taliban as Afghanistan's legitimate government. One reason why the Tajik border has been very tense for Afghanistan's northern frontiers is that, and the other reason is that there are militants in northern Afghanistan that Tajikistan views as a threat. The Tajik president, Emomali Ramon, said that according to Tajik intelligence services, the number of camps and training centers for terrorists bordering the southern borders of the CSTO, Collective, Treaty, Collective Security Treaty Organization, um, summit, which was a summit that was held on January 10th. Um, anyway, uh, borders of the CSTO in the northeastern provinces of Afghanistan totals more than 40, and their numerical strength is more than 6,000 militants. Ramon, he also told the leaders of Russia, Belarus, Armenia, Kazakhstan, and the head of Kyrgyzstan's cabinet ministers taking part in the summit that you and I know very well that since the second half of August 21, thousands of members of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Jamaat Ansarullah, Hizub al-Tahir, and other terrorist groups have been released from prisons in Afghanistan. Ansarullah is comprised of mainly Tajik citizens who have been fighting alongside the Taliban for years, and the Taliban reportedly deployed some of them to guard the border with Tajikistan. Now, there's some other stuff that goes on. For example, the son of the founder of the Taliban, uh, Malali, Mal Malawi Mohammed Yakub, said on January 11th that the Taliban want the warplanes and helicopters in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan that escaping Afghan government forces flew to those countries uh, when they were heading on Kabul. The, um, the Taliban wants them back. Now, they won't be given back, I'm pretty sure. That's what they want. Is there anything that you want to say about this story? I mean, I don't kind of don't blame uh, Tajikistan for being unwilling to work with Afghanistan right now. Of course, you only have a government if other countries consider your government to be a legitimate government, which I don't think many people really do consider the Taliban to be legitimately in charge of Afghanistan right now. I said they probably would consider Afghanistan to kind of be in limbo right now more than anything. So I think uh, Tajikistan had what you might expect to be a normal response to the issue. Uh, what about you? I think it's a pretty normal response, too. I think another thing worth mentioning is that the Taliban is mostly composed of Pashtun fighters. And the Pashtun are an ethnic group in the central east part of Afghanistan, 
that have an interesting relationship with, uh, well, not everyone, but they have an interesting relationship with their neighbors. The Pashtun are also in Pakistan, which is why the Taliban sometimes operates over there. And I think that's also why uh, we got Bin Laden in, pa- in uh, Pakistan, because even though the Taliban, Bin Laden wasn't a member of the Taliban, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban were kind of buddies. But the Tajiks, the Balok down in the south, uh, part of Afghanistan, the Uzbeks and the Turkmen in the northwest, those four groups are all they don't get along with the Taliban and actually neither do the Hazaras, which are a group in the center of Afghanistan. So those five groups, now that I think about it, they all don't really get along with the Taliban. So I think it's interesting the Taliban is trying to ally with some more kind of fringe uh, jihadist Tajik militias to kind of show that, hey, we have Tajiks on our side. And the Tajiks are very prominent in the northeastern corner, especially in, I believe, a region known as Badakhshan, which is an area that's fairly close to China and Kashmir. So we'll see what happens from here, but I think it's interesting. I think the Taliban won't be able to, I don't think they want to expand, but I think they want to kind of uh, gain a loose foothold in the region. I think they want Afghanistan to be a prominent country in the region as kind of a counterbalance to, to, well, I would say probably India, because even though India doesn't border Afghanistan, um, India is very prominent in the region. Pakistan really depends on who's in charge there. They may be allied with Pakistan. They may not be. Depends on who is in charge of Pakistan and who they will side with. Will they be more pro-India? Will they be more pro-Taliban? Will they take a different route? Uh, Iran will be interesting. Iran, they're Shia, Taliban, or Sunni, but they may work together. But they both really don't like America, so they may work together, but they may not. So we'll see. Um, Russia and China, I think, are kind of watching keenly. China, I think, is interested in becoming friends with the Taliban. Russia, I don't know. It's a good chance that they could become friends, though. Uh, any more thoughts on Taliban situation for you? Uh, no, not really. Do you want to go on to our last story? Yeah, last story. That's your story on Kazakhstan. Okay, so the whole Kazakhstan situation. This is probably the biggest story we're covering right now. I don't know. TV News does a really good job of distorting what's actually relevant, but there's been a drastic rise in gas prices in Kazakhstan leading to widespread protests. So at the beginning of 2021, the price of gas in Kazakhstan was about 50 tenj, if I'm pronouncing that right. I'd imagine the English spelling is T-E-N-G, but I don't I actually know. I think it's tenj, but I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying tenj for now, because that's what I heard on, uh, this is from TLDR News. You may know their YouTube channel if you follow YouTube news sources. Anyways, in the western Kazakh province of Manalsto, prices in 2021 for gas and all over Kazakhstan were about 50 tenj. And then as of December 31st, it was 80 tenj. And then overnight, it jumped up to 120 tenj. So overnight from December 31st into the new year. Because of this, there was widespread protests, which are actually illegal in Kazakhstan, but they happened anyways. And which led the Kazakh government to quote unquote resign. Uh, Kazakhstan, if you don't already know, well, I don't think many people know because I don't even think we have any listeners from countries that are even bordering Kazakhstan, let alone Kazakhstan. But um, correct me if I'm wrong. But the authoritarian government there, led by 
the party Neuro 10. 10, I'm not exactly sure who the president is anymore, which is, of course, as I said, they resigned. So they're probably going to have some sort of change in leadership because their government, as I said, quote-unquote, resigned. So, of course, these protests started in the province of Manausto in western Kazakhstan, who has to import all their oil because they're so remote. Uh, so, of course, any price of gas there is going to be a bit more because... They are remote and they have to have it all imported on large vehicles. So the Kazakh government introduced price controls, but it's unclear whether these are going to work. And various different agencies within the Kazakh government are blaming this on various different things. I don't exactly know who's blaming it on what, but I know there's multiple different explanations of why this is going to be or why gas prices are so high. They didn't introduce price controls, as I said, but who knows if that'll work. Thomas, what do you think? Um, I think it's interesting. I don't think price controls will work, if I'm going to be totally honest, but we'll see. I think that Kazakhstan is kind of screwed right now um, because if they want to you know, become more democratic, the problem is uh, look to their north. Who's their northern neighbor? Russia. And Russia really likes the Kazakh government. I mean... Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, who was the old president of Kazakhstan, he was buddy-buddy with Putin. And that area is kind of an interesting area. It's an area that Putin really wants to take control in. He really wants to be powerful in the area. And I think that if Kazakhstan tries to become more democratic, uh especially because they're Russians who live in the north of Kazakhstan, uh, Putin would try to pull uh, Crimea in parts of Kazakhstan and try to take some of their land up north. So that's why I think that Kazakhstan won't become democratic, but maybe some sort of a compromise can be reached. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Kazakhstan. Um, If the protesters separate themselves from the U.S. and the West, they have a better shot of actually getting change done. But if they align themselves with the West and Europe, then there's no shot in heck that they will be able to get anything done. That's just my opinion. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I don't know what you think about it, but yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't really have much to say about it. As, I mean, hopefully, I mean, I said they did become democratic, but I'm kind of, er, well, I should say, your explanation makes perfect sense on that. Of course, with the whole Putin situation, and of course, we all know Putin's main political goal is to just gain back all the land the Soviet Union lost for Russia again. Of course, we see this with Crimea and various parts of... We see this with smaller countries that border Russia, particularly with the whole Abkhazia situation, I believe, and uh, South Ossetia, you can, or Ossetia. Not really sure how to pronounce uh, South Ossetia. It could be Ossetia or Ossetia, I'm not really sure, but if you, you, you can probably find it on the internet. I feel like I've heard it as uh, South Ossetia, but I Yeah, don't I'm know. pretty sure that's maybe, maybe as I say it that way. Anyways, um, of course, we see it there. So, of course, pretty clear Putin just wants all of the areas the Soviet Union lost back. So, of course, he's probably going to try that with Kazakhstan since they lost Kazakhstan as well. Do you have anything else to add, Thomas? Well, I feel like he'll only try that if um, the Kazakhstan government becomes unfriendly to him. If they remain friendly, I don't think he'll try that. Or it somehow gets he stabilized. Can, 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that uh, we'll see. I think that uh, the Kazakh people will need to find a way to get some more, lack of a better word, to get some more democracy in the country without um, abandoning Russia, which sounds like an oxymoron, and it kind of is. But uh, we'll see. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's nothing else to add or say right now, I feel like, as yeah. far as the situation goes, but let's just kind of monitor it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. But uh, do you have anything else? No, I don't. Do you want to? Do you want me to wrap things up? Yeah, that sounds good. So, uh, as we've mentioned before, our socials are at TWI12404 on Instagram and r slash uh, international on Reddit. Those are really the only socials we use. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed listening and uh, we'll see oh, you in and, the next uh, one. One thing before we yeah. go, I'm going to be starting a new podcast, the Wacky Ideas Podcast. It's going to be talking about a bunch of wacky ideas that people believe political ideas, religious ideas, scientific ideas. And we're just going to be examining them and talking about why some people either believe them now or believed them in the past. So that'll the first episode of that should be coming out fairly soon, maybe within a week or so. And uh, check that out if you're interested in that kind of stuff. The Wacky Ideas podcast will hopefully be out on Spotify and the places where you can get this podcast. Okay, yeah, we'll be sure to uh, listen. See y'all later, folks.